You're listening to a podcast from the Lakes Church in Cairns, Australia. We are in week two in the middle of a series called Any Day, Any Hour, The When, Why and How of Jesus' Return. And... Um, end of the world movies. The, the, the first big end of the world movie that I can remember is the movie Armageddon. Armageddon came out in 1998 and it had some big names in it. Bruce Willis, who had recently been the star of the greatest Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. Liv Tyler, who became Arwen from Lord of the Rings. And uh, what's the guy's name? Ben Affleck, who became Batman just recently. So big names. It was a big movie, Armageddon. And in the movie Armageddon, it tells a story of an asteroid the size of Texas, which was on its way to hit Earth, but they only discovered it a month before it was supposed to impact. And so really the, the, the big story, the big tension in the movie is, can NASA's misfit team of deep core drillers save the planet? Or will this end all life on Earth as we know it? Now, not long after Armageddon came the movie Left Behind, based on the novel of the same name. It was a movie version of what some people believe happens or is foretold in the Bible. And that's the rapture, that God just sweeps Christians up off the earth, leaving behind small piles of their clothing, any teeth fillings and any jewellery behind, and everyone else stays. And as you can imagine, that causes planes to fall out of the sky and cars to crash and carnage to ensue. Uh, and people just you know panic and freak out as this happens. Ten years later came the movie 2012, which was based on an ancient Mayan prophecy that the world would end in the year 2012. And so the movie has a series of cataclysmic events as the world comes to an end or or threatens to come to an end. Very, very scary, Uh, even though we're now in 2021 and we know that it didn't happen. And then, believe it or not, in 2014, someone thought it was a good idea to remake the original Left Behind movie, but this time with Nicolas Cage as the lead actor, as if anyone could do a better job than the darling of Christian cinema, Kirk Cameron. End of the world movies simultaneously inspire us, freak us out, make sense to us and intrigue us and make us laugh and inspire us to live differently as they portray how something, someone could end the world as we know it. Now, last week, as we began our series, we left Jesus and his disciples in Matthew 24 as they have a conversation about some very things like this. Not not their favorite end of the world movies, but what some of these signs of the times, signs of these end times might be. And so today we're going to jump back into Matthew 24 and we're going to look at pretty much the rest of the conversation, which is mainly the, the first half, because last week we focused on what Jesus said about himself. But this week we're going to focus on what he said about the world. And so let's jump in. Matthew chapter 24 in verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately when there's no crowds around. And they said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? 
Now, Jesus goes on to talk about his return, which is what we focused on last week. This idea that Jesus was super clear about that no one knows when he's coming back, but he will return. Any day, any hour, Jesus' return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Nobody knows, no one will be expecting it, except, he says, we should always be expecting it. We should always be ready for Jesus to return at any moment so that our hearts, our attitude, our lives are ready to receive him and to celebrate with him because he promises to come with judgment. That Jesus comes with a verdict about what we have done with Jesus in our lives and our faithfulness or our unfaithfulness. But in this in-between space, in between where we are now and when Jesus returns and the end of the world, we want to know what do we need to look out for? When will all this happen? What are the signs of the times and the signs of the end times that we need to pay attention to? Because as we're going to see in this conversation, there is a little bit of tension between that idea that no one knows when Jesus will return. But then there are other things he talks about which seem predictable, which seem like we could put days and times and, and, and look at news from around the world and put those things together as we interpret the Bible and world events. So, As we go through Matthew 24, I'm going to jump around a little bit because Jesus does in the conversation as well. Uh, And I'll connect the dots, but what it could be helpful for you to do is if you've got your phone or a tablet or or a Bible, open up to Matthew 24 in the Bible app because um, you'll see the verses on the screen, but I'm going to jump around and you can make sure I'm not trying to trick you or deceive you. So let's continue first of all. In verses 4 to 5, the disciples have just asked when. When will all this happen and what? What signs are we looking for? And Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. Now we're going to jump down quite a few verses to verse 23, same chapter, where Jesus continues this thought about the Messiah coming or fake Messiahs coming. He says, then, if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it, for false Messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one. See, I've warned you about this ahead of time. So, If someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he's hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures show there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Well, this is going to be fun. Jesus' big point is... You will not miss his second coming. Right, at, right near the end of that, that part of the passage, just as the lightning flashes in the east and you can see it over in the west, you will know when Jesus has returned. You will not miss it. But people in every single generation have claimed to be the Jewish Messiah or claimed to be the reincarnation of Jesus or have just claimed to be right I finally am the one. We finally have figured it out. We're the ones. And you can find them sometimes on a farm outside of Ipswich. And sometimes on a property on our very own Atherton Tablelands. But this happens all over the world and has happened through every generation. Now, sometimes these false messiahs, false prophets, claim to actually be Jesus. 
you know, sometimes you'll even see them, you know, interviewed on TV. I am the, the reincarnation of Jesus Christ is, is what they believe. Other times they will just rise up and claim to have finally figured things out. We have the secret knowledge. We're the only ones who know. Come and listen to us. And Jesus says, don't even bother. He says, don't even bother going to hear them to find out what they've got to say. Because if they are claiming that, straight away you know that they are wrong. Now, not long after Jesus ascended to heaven, maybe 10 or 15 years after that happened, there was a Jewish man named Thutis. And we know this from, from writings of history. And he led a, a, a unfortunately unsuccessful and very short-lived Jewish revolt against the Romans. He claimed to be someone really important and someone really special, but it didn't take the Roman Empire long to find him and to cut off his head. And no one ever followed him after that. So if someone appears and they tell you that I am the Messiah, I'm the second coming of Jesus, or, or, or I just I have something that no one else has, I know things that no one else has figured out, then that's just simply not true. They just simply aren't. In fact, Jesus says, don't even bother, don't waste your time. And Jesus says that this is going to be normal. This will happen. He's preparing his disciples. He's preparing us that this is going to happen. And this is a sign of the end times. You'll know that we're in the end times if you hear people say these things and if you encounter people like this. But you won't miss it. You won't miss it when Jesus himself appears. It'll be like a flash of lightning. So let's move back up now to verse 6 where, where we left it earlier. Jesus says, not only will people rise up as false messiahs, but also you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. This is another thing that Jesus said is going to be perfectly normal is, is wars and threats of wars, famines and even earthquakes. He said these things are going to happen. These will be signs of the times, but they're also very, very normal. So don't panic. The end won't follow immediately. He said this is like the first of the birth pains. You know, later the apostle Paul wrote that all creation Every person and the whole created world is groaning as in the pains of labor, looking forward to our new birth, new bodies, new heavens, new earth. But it's like Braxton Hicks contractions, the contractions you have when you're not really having a contraction. It's the preparation for the active part of labor, which will come later. And Jesus says when this happens, when the earth shakes, when wars happen, when there's even threats and rumors of wars, don't panic. This is a painful part of the human experience, but it's also normal. So he continues in verse 9, the very next verse. Then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed. Jesus is full of good news today. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. This, again, is a perfectly normal part of life in the world as we know it. Life in these end times is persecution against Christians. Arrests, oppression, being made fun of, even being killed, sin being rampant everywhere and the love of many growing cold. And what does Jesus say in the context? That all these things are going to happen. This will be normal. Don't panic. And then he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, human birth takes endurance, incredible endurance. And human life, as we live our own lives, takes incredible endurance. We all want to be winners. We all want to have peace and justice and a good life but some seasons of our lives and some seasons of the whole world are just about endurance sometimes we just have to stick it out hanging on to jesus and being patient jesus says that all of these things all the things that we have experienced and seen in the news and have in our own lives these are all signs that the end is coming so are we experiencing these things now Absolutely we are. So are we living in the end times? Yes, absolutely we are. These are all signs that the end of the world is coming. These are all signs that we need his peace to calm our panic. And these are all signs that we need endurance to remain faithful to the end. But when? When did these things begin? Now, I'm 36 years old, which relative to you may be, may be really old or really young or just right. Now, I can remember hearing on the radio, on the wireless, that the Berlin Wall had come down. Now, I can remember watching on TV, live, free-to-air television, when planes flew into the Twin Towers in New York City. Now, I can remember watching on the news when armies amassed and moved into military formation along Asian borders. And I can remember how the world was turned upside down by the COVID-19 pandemic. This is just in my lifetime. I've heard stories of the Cuban Missile Crisis, and some of you lived through that. I've heard stories, interviews with people who were living in Sydney, in in the suburbs, who took off west, couldn't get out of the city as 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 as, uh, couldn't get out of the city as quick as possible because they the, the threat of nuclear warfare, even coming to Sydney, was so real and so scary. They just headed west and headed for the bush. World War One, World War One, and World War Two are still in living human memory. And wars and threats of wars existed in the lifetime of Jesus' disciples. You know, we're going to come back later to the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70. The very city that Jesus was speaking, the very temple buildings he was looking at were going to be completely and utterly destroyed. Persecution, earthquakes, love growing cold, hatred against followers of Jesus. These things are true today. And at different points in history, they have been sometimes more true. And also sometimes less true. Because the world and each region of the world and each family in the world and each person in the world is in a constant state of change with living conditions. So in a lot of ways, in a lot of parts of the world, in a lot of families, in a lot of people's lives, things are getting better. 
and have been getting better with our living conditions. So at the same time that in the Western world, there is a changing sentiment against Christianity, that's, that's for sure. But at that very same time, our living standards have increased. So our threat of sickness, our threat of death has, has decreased. And so if we could fast forward 50 years time, who knows what things will be like for our lives here in Cairns? Who knows what life will be like in Venezuela? Who knows what life will be like in Denmark? The world is constantly in a state of change, either moving in one direction or moving in another direction or, or going backwards or going forwards. Check out, check out this quote. This is not a Bible verse. Our earth is degenerate, degenerate in these later days. There are signs that the world is speedily coming to an end. Bribery and corruption are common. Children no longer obey their parents. Every man wants to write a book and the end of the world is evidently approaching. Now, who wrote that? We are not entirely sure. When was it written? We also aren't entirely sure. But let me give you the two best archaeological and historical guesses or, or interpretations of when it was written. The earliest record is that this was from an Assyrian clay tablet from the year 2800 BCE, before the Common Era, 4,821 years ago. Now, they can't prove that. The earliest reference of someone seeing it in a museum is from about 100 years ago. But whether that is from 4,000 years ago or 100 years ago, the point still stands that, that that quote is equally true today as it was back then. They were correct then and we are correct now. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples and speaking to us so that we won't panic and we won't give up. Now, I'm going to get even more specific in a minute before we finish about some of these signs of the end times. But first, let's jump ahead four chapters to Matthew 28. This is what Matthew records as the last words of Jesus to his disciples. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus knew exactly what his disciples were going to face, each of them. Jesus knows exactly what you are facing today. Jesus knows exactly what the world will face in 50 years' time. And his statement then is as true today. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus doesn't always save us from disaster or disappointment or disablement or even death. But he never leaves us. And so if you're afraid of the end of the world, if you are stressing over the signs of these end times, if you're worried about the way that the world is going, if you're scared about bringing children into this world, if you're anxious about what is happening, if you've been crushed by life, Jesus says, be sure of this. Be guaranteed of this. Be absolutely convinced of this that he is with you always, no matter what, even to the very end of the age, through everything and in everything, not always physically rescuing you in the way that you desperately want, but always giving you a reason to not panic and giving you strength to endure. Because in one sense, it's kind of easy to look at the signs of the times and say, there we go, we are in the end times. The signs of the times are, in one sense, easy to spot. 
But the signs of Jesus with you are sometimes a bit more subtle, sometimes a bit more arguable. You can discount it more easily. But they're the signs that we need to pay even more attention to. So we could stay in Matthew 24 for for ages. There's a lot more in there. But let me just look at one more thing, a couple more verses um, before we begin to draw to a close today. So verse uh, 15 and 16, Jesus said, The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. And then Matthew, as he writes his gospel, adds, this is not Jesus' words, Matthew adds, reader, pay attention. And then Jesus says, then those in Judea around Jerusalem must flee to the hills. Now, we cannot know for certain, and I'll tell you why in a minute. We can't know for certain, but there is a lot of evidence that this particular sign, this particular prophecy or prediction happened in the first century. So the prophet Daniel, his his book, what he wrote and said is in the Old Testament. He predicted that hundreds of years after his lifetime would come a day when a non-Jewish person, a Gentile, would enter the most holy place in the Jewish temple and would desecrate it. So you might remember that God had given very specific instructions about worship in the temple. There were three main spaces. There were the outer courts around the temple. Then there was the holy place. And then there was the most holy place. And so there was a lot of people, and you and I included as non-Jewish people, who could not even enter the outer courts. We could not go anywhere near the temple. We would not be allowed in. And then in the holy places, you got in a little bit closer where the sacrifices were were held. You had to be particularly a certain type of person living in a certain way, not have had certain events happen to you in in the days and weeks previously for you to be allowed into that holy place. But then right in the center, right inside was the most holy place. And even the most perfect people, the most holy and righteous people, the priests, even for them, they might only go in one day once in their life if they were fortunate. This was where God was supposed to dwell himself with his actual presence in the most holy place. Now, we don't know by this time in the first century if the Ark of the Covenant was there or not because of previous wars but but originally that's where the Ark of the Covenant was the very visible image of God's presence the box covered with gold that had inside it the actual tablets that God had written the Ten Commandments on that had actual manna that God had provided in the desert and there was all these other very important very spiritual things in the most holy place in the holy of holy And Daniel said, one day someone's going to come and just make a mockery of that and destroy it. And so we know that in the year 66, we know this from history, in the year 66 in the common era, the Jews began to properly revolt. They had not liked the Roman oppression for a long time, but in the year 66 began a particular Jewish revolt. And the Romans came and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. So no one can get in, no one can get out, food can't get in, people can't get out. The city is under siege for four years until finally in the year 70, the Roman army came in and completely destroyed the city and completely destroyed the temple. A non-Jewish person went right into the Holy of Holies and just sacrilegiously sabotaged it. 
destroyed it. And not one stone was left on top of the other in the temple, just as Jesus said would happen. So it seems like Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, he seems to be prophesying about a particular end times event that has already happened in history. But it's also possible that Jesus was, was not just talking about that or wasn't talking about that. He was talking about something else in the future. And this is where it gets really confusing and complicated. And we're going to go into even more of these things next week with the rapture and the mark of the beast and the antichrist and all of those fun things. But Jesus doesn't clear it up in Matthew 24. Jesus makes this prediction that we look back on historically and say, I think that probably already happened. Jesus was right about that. But Jesus doesn't clear it up for his disciples. In fact, as he makes his predictions and prophecies, he seems to make it even more confusing. So last passages from Matthew 24, verse 34. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this is a little bit later on in the conversation. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. These are three sentences all in a row without, a, you know, without taking more than a couple of breaths in between them. So are Jesus' predictions about his return and about the end times for the, the generation of the disciples in the first century? Or are they still going to happen? And can we predict when they might happen and what they will be, or is it just impossible to know? Now, in this conversation, Jesus does draw some distinctions. So he's always really clear about his return. We spent all last week talking about this. Nobody knows. Jesus will come like a thief in the night in that you have no idea when a thief will turn up. Jesus will come in Luke's gospel. He says it's going to be business as usual until Jesus returns, that people will be partying and getting drunk and just having fun and living their lives and doing whatever they want right up to the second, the moment when Jesus returns. So it's, it's unknowable and it's imminent at any moment. But then in, in other times, he says that this generation won't pass from the scene. And then he talks specifically about what we think happened in the year 70. So there is some value in trying to predict and trying to figure out when and what and how, and that's where we're going next week to finish off our series. But from Jesus' words in Matthew 24, we can't know the detail for sure. And Jesus doesn't seem at all concerned with satisfying our curiosity. Remember the disciples said, you know, when will all of this happen? And what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the world? He doesn't answer all of our speculations. He doesn't resolve all of our concerns and he doesn't provide a clear roadmap. And you will never get Christians to agree on the specifics of all of these things. Jesus gave very little attention to the question, when will all this happen? And much more attention to the question, how can we live faithfully? If this stuff is going to happen, and Jesus is clear that it will, way more attention to the question, how can we live faithfully? faithfully. So in this whole conversation, Jesus is pointing his disciples and he's pointing us to protect us and guide us and instruct us on how to live as all of these things play out. So let's recap some of of what I think are the most important things that Jesus has said in the passage today. Don't believe it. If people tell you that they are uh, the promised one from God, the Messiah, Jesus reincarnated, just don't bother, don't believe it. Don't bother going to hear from false messiahs. 
And he said, don't panic when you hear about wars and threats of war. And he said, have endurance when life is painful and difficult. Then he said, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And then he said, my words will never disappear. Life, human life and your life will have seasons of great difficulty and great tribulation. You at times will panic. You at times will want to give up. There will be disaster and a desire to freak out and to give up. But Jesus says, don't panic. Don't give up because I am with you always. And those who endure to the end will be saved. I want to finish today with a line from the Psalms. As uh, the psalmist maybe had some inclination of, of what was going to come with the Messiah. And maybe this is just him as he understood God in his time. In Psalm 73 verse 26 wrote, My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. Earth as we know it one day will disappear and be renewed. Even the heavens as we know them will one day disappear and be renewed. Your body as you know it will one day be completely transformed and renewed. Everything will change except for Jesus. He's always the same and always with us. No one can take him away from you. He is yours forever let's pray together and particularly as as we pray i want to pray for people who who right now in this moment um, have a sense of of panic and this could be about you know world events end times events in a in a uh, classical kind of sense but but it also could just be panic about some events in in your life And it could be where you feel like your endurance is seriously challenged and you are just ready to give up. As I prayed about this this morning, Jesus' words that the love of many will grow cold really stood out to me. That there there could be people in your life, many people in your life, and it feels like their love has grown cold. And you panic and you want to give up. And so, Jesus, for for that person today, for those people today, for all of us today, would we hang on to your words that you are with us always? We can be sure of that, that you are with us always. Your peace to calm our panic. Your strength to give us endurance. And, Lord, would our eyes be stay fixed on you because you are the one thing that never changes the one constant the one reliable person and factor in our life and you have given yourself to us forever Amen